Good morning, or good evening, sorry. It's good to see you this evening. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn with me there. Looking forward to our study together this evening as we look at uh, the book of Ephesians and one of the, the messages that we find there. Uh, I wanted to think a little bit this evening about the idea of being united and being unified together in our common goal. And, and the reason behind that has a lot to do with what's going on right now in the world around us. I mean, this is one of the things that I see as I'm, as I'm living my life that I see is a lot of, of separation, a lot of diversity, a lot of, uh, you know, stay away from me kind of mentality. Like, I don't want you to, to, to be a part of me. I don't want you to be connected to me. Uh, in the society around me. And if we're not careful, I think we can get that in the church as well. As, as we look at uh, the news, as we look at our society in general, there's a lot of disconnectedness. There's a lot of separation between us. And, and we need to find a way to overcome that. So I ask myself the question, how can we be united? How can we join together to accomplish much more in our service to the Lord. And I think that there's no other text that, that, that helps us with this better than Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going we're gonna to study through that tonight and look at the first 16 verses, which are jammed packed with a lot of really good information that I won't have time to dig into very deeply, but uh, I think that gives us a really good overall understanding of the idea of, of unity. How is it that we can join ourselves together in order to accomplish the purpose that God has given us to do? And to prepare your mind for this study, I just want to go ahead and give you a breakdown of the outline of this section. In the first 16 verses, we have three ideas given to us of unity. Number one is the idea that there's an attitude that one must have to be unified. Also, number two, the idea that... uh, that there is a foundation upon which we need to be unified. And then, whenever we get to the last section, we see the work of unity described in the church. So that's going to be kind of where we're going as we study through this text and this letter. So let's start off by looking at the first section in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-3. through 3. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In these three verses, we see the idea of Unity being described to us in an attitude that's given to us. Notice how he words this. He says, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So the idea is that we can have an attitude by which one can be unified that allows us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling we've received. So what does this mean? What does it, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? What, is that, what does that mean? How do you walk in a manner worthy of anything? The idea of being worthy of something we might think of as, oh, you're, you're worth, uh, you have some value or some, some reason that makes you worth Uh, doing something for, something along those lines. But whenever we look at this text, he says he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of what? The calling to which you have been called. 
In this text, Paul wants us to live in a way that honors what God has given to us, what God has already blessed us with. It's not as though he wants us to walk in a way that makes us worth everything that God has, has, has given for us and given to us, but it's that he wants us to live our lives in such a way that shows our appreciation, our gratitude, that we desire to honor God, that we desire to serve God for what he has already given to us. And how is it that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called? How is it that we can live in a way that really honors God? He tells us. He tells us that we need to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he describes that to us with three attributes. Did you notice that in verse 2? He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So how can we, as God's people, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've received? How can we, as God's people, live in a way that brings honor to our God, who we serve, who has already abundantly blessed us beyond all that we can ask or think, has already given us a sacrifice that we don't deserve, forgiveness that we don't deserve, and blessed us with every spiritual blessing? How are we going to ever, ever Honor Him. Well, Paul tells us in this text, he tells us what God is looking for in us. And the idea is that we maintain unity by having these, these attributes. By having attributes that create unity, that help unity to exist among us. I want to think for just a second about the different attributes that are mentioned in this list. First of all, he says that we need to have all humility. What is that? And how does that look in a, in a local church, to have humility? Well, humility, humbleness is that idea of selflessness, right? The idea that you are more important than I am. Well, we've got that covered, right? We are, we are excellent at that. We are excellent at, at putting everyone else's thoughts and ways before our own and, and serving other people as more important than ourselves. Right? That's no problem. We can move on. I'm the most humble man on the earth. Yeah, right. Uh, you see how the idea is that the church is supposed to be a church full of humble people who are, who are living to serve others, who are putting others' thoughts and desires before their own, and that this is going to create unity. How many times in a church do we see people who are members of the church who have the wrong idea about what the church's function is? Maybe uh, the thought is that I'm going to this church and it gives me all these things. <laughs> I, I go to this church and it, it has this great program and that great program and that serves my needs. As though that's the reason behind the church being established that, that it might serve and cater to the needs that I have. Well, in this text, we see that, that Paul is telling us that we're supposed to walk or live in a way that shows humility, that, that we're striving to serve others, and that helps to create unity within the church. You imagine a system where every member is humble and, and has a sense of humility, wanting to put others before themselves. You receive serving. You receive catering as you are willing to cater and serve others. And this is the way the system is set up. And then also, he says that we need to have gentleness. 
Gentleness kind of goes along the same lines of serving other people, doesn't it? We're thinking about the needs of others. What does it mean for us to be gentle in the church? What does it mean to be gentle in general as a person? If I'm going to be a gentle person, what kind of person am I? What am I doing that shows gentleness? I think about carrying something that's fragile or or something that, that, that could easily break. We take the care to be soft. To make sure that that whatever it is doesn't break. To make sure that whatever it is doesn't get crushed or damaged in some way. Is this the way that we're willing to to work with those around us? Are we willing to, to, to handle them with kid gloves? Are we willing to be gentle and tender with them? To help them to, to, to overcome whatever issue it is that they're facing? Can you imagine a church that has people in it that are full of gentleness, that are, that are willing to help and serve others with humility, but that also talk to one another and, and interact with one another in a way that shows, I don't want you to be damaged in any way. I don't want your, your, your soul to be compromised in any way. I don't want to put a stumbling block before you, and I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt you uh, in the way that I act, in the way that I speak, in the things that I do. Imagine what that church would look like and how, how easy it would be for the church there to be united with one another. And then third, he, he mentions patience. We all know what patience is and we all probably pray for patience on occasion, especially those of us with kids. Uh, we need patience. We, we want patience. What does it look like to be patient in the church as we're working together? Well, It looks like bearing with one another in love, which is what he uses right after that. It looks like being willing to to work with the mistakes that are being made with those around us. I mean, is anybody here perfect? We all make mistakes. So the one who is patient is one who is willing to allow for some mistakes in a sense that they don't come at you, trying to condemn you for the mistakes that you've made, but that we come at each other with gentleness and we also are willing to bear with those who make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Have you ever had someone exhibit an extraordinary amount of patience with you? Have you ever made that same mistake over and over and over again? Well, this is what Paul is urging the Ephesian Christians to have toward one another. That they be humble, that they be gentle, that they be patient, that they bear with one another in love. And and whenever they do that, unity is created and God is honored. And that's what he wants to see in us, that we have that attitude of, of, of humility and service to one another in order to create unity in the church. Well, he goes on, and it seems like a, a very, uh, well, we didn't finish. Let me finish. Notice also, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We didn't really talk about that. Notice the eagerness. Are we eager to be gentle? Are we eager to be humble? Are we eager to be... Uh, having the patience and bearing with one another, are we eager to create that? Are we eager to develop that in ourselves? And notice that He wants us to have that bond together of peace. But then we move on to verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, 
Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Well, why did you say that, Paul? Why did you transition into something? It seems like something else there is, one, one body, one spirit. Well, notice the singularity of all these things. Notice they follow right after the idea that there is a bond of peace. A bond is something that joins things together. So he says we are, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace to be bound together because there is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. He tells us that there is one structure here for unity. This is the structure of unity that God has created for us to partake in. That God has set up this system, so to speak, where we live in as Christians. That we are a part of one single body that enjoys all of these different things. The one spirit, the hope, the faith, the baptism, the Lord. Uh, We have all of these things that we enjoy together as one body serving under one God. But as we look at this text and we we think about this, a a lot of us may have heard uh, sermons or heard thoughts about how this, this text shows us there is only one body. That means there is only one church. And that means all the other denominations around us are wrong and and they need to change to be like us. <laughs> if, you, if you've heard anything like that, how does that fit in well with verses 1 through 3 where he says we need humility? <laughs> you know, that, that kind of goes against the idea of being humble and, and, and wanting to serve and put others as more important or as better than ourselves. But what does he mean here? Yeah, there's doctrinal truths to be had here. Uh, God doesn't desire for us to be separated. He wants there to be one. He doesn't want there to be denominationalism or anything like that, but He wants us all to be one, as one body. Well, what does that really mean as far as unity goes? Notice at the end, uh, the very last one, whenever He says, One God, He says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That lengthy description that's there is very interesting. That he would say that there is one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. There is one of all of these things, and there is one God who is over all of it. He is the the one who dictates the structure of it all. He is the one who established the foundation of all of this system and this structure that has been built. Well, what's the message to us as we read through this and we see that God has set things up this way? Well, the message to us is that this is not our body. This is not our body. In the sense that we don't get to rule over this body. We don't get to dictate what this body looks like, who is in this body. We don't get to dictate uh, how this body is supposed to function. 
That's not our area. We are a member of the body that is just one piece of this grand structure that God is over with one Lord whom we serve. Well, when we think about that a little bit more, it helps us to understand that, that this is the foundation that we're in. So we're not here to strive after creating a powerhouse of any kind. We're not here to, to, to manipulate uh, anyone else to, to make a church that is to our liking. We're not here to become elders or shepherds so that we can change things to do things the way that we really want them done. But instead what we see is we're here to serve God. And we're here to put Him first. Whatever it is that that we do together as a church, as members of Christ's body, has to be done in service to the one God who rules over everything. This is the only way that we can truly be united. If we're all trying to create our own bodies that do what we want them to do, then there is no unity in that. But what we find as we, as we read together and as we study together is that God has established a way that He wants His people to live, a way that He wants His people to be toward one another and toward the world around them that glorifies His name and that honors Him. So what we must do is make sure that we're in that body. That we're in the the one body that's mentioned here, serving the one Lord with the one hope, the one faith, the one baptism, and the one Spirit revealing the truth to us. That's what we're here for. That's what the whole point is. And it doesn't matter if someone is is coming in from Minnesota or coming in from Michigan like we had this morning or or where someone's coming from or, or what part of the world they live in. If they're a part of that one body, then they're striving together with us for the same purpose and the same goals. That's a pretty amazing system that God set up for us. But notice also that what He says, I find this most interesting in verse 6, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God is the reason for everything we do. He is in our acts of service to one another. He is in our Bible studies. We want to know more about God. We want to know who He is, what He wants, why He has done what He has done, and what the purpose is for our lives in service to Him. It's all about God. Jesus Himself, as He walks on this earth, shows us how to glorify God. How to put God as first. And and at the end, He will give everything back to God, the Father. So you see how we all have this united foundation, this united structure that we are operating in. And that's our purpose, and that's our goal, is to fulfill that, that structure that we are part of, the body of Christ that operates on the earth according to God's will. We just sang a song, It is well with my soul. And that's exactly the purpose. As as we're gathering together, we're trying to do the things and say the things that help each other to see what God's will is and to make sure that it's well with our souls that we follow after what He has commanded. 
The last section that we find is in verses 7 through 16. It's a little bit longer of a section, but I'd like for us to read through it and look at uh, some parts of it. Verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is also the one is the one also who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, are, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is a little bit longer of a section, but notice the transition here. He goes from discussing the the big picture, the big structure of everything, and how everything is, is set up, that we are bound to this one body that fits into this grand scheme, into... That Jesus gave each of us gifts. So he goes from the big picture to each of us. He has is, he is, he is not only saved us, he has not only brought about the means by which we can be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with God, but he has also given us gifts. And what are those gifts? Well, he, gives, he, he lists out uh, some of the gifts. In verse 11, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The gifts that have been given are gifts that allow for the teaching of the Word to spread everywhere in order to equip the members for work. The body is not just a body that's here to, to, to sit around and enjoy the blessings and all the spiritual blessings that have been given. The body has been put here for the purpose of working. And notice how uh, these, these gifts and these abilities that have been given to work are, are given to work together. And when they work together... The body is able to grow and maturity is able to happen. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose that that God had, the purpose that Christ had in giving these gifts to us, was so that we could mature and gain more unity with one another and that we might mature to the point where we are full of the knowledge of the Son of God and that we are living our lives in a way that is like Him. Our unified work 
produces spiritual growth and maturity to become like Christ on the earth. Look again at verse 1 and remember this. He's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's urging us to live our lives in a way that honors God. And now he describes what that would look like in a much more practical sense of what we're doing. We're working together with our gifts to build one another up to become more and more like Christ. And as all of this happens, God is honored and God is glorified. Well, okay, this is the work that that He's prescribed for us that's going to create unity, that's going to create maturity in us. Well, how do we know that we're there? (laughs) We think about spiritual maturity. Have we reached spiritual maturity? Have any of us reached spiritual maturity in in our walk with God? Well, are we like Christ yet? Anybody here like Christ? Are we there uh, no, we're not there yet. We're not, we're not to that point yet where we're like Christ. So how are we going to get there? How are we going to reach the spiritual maturity level of being like Christ? Well, the fact is we're not going to really get there in all of our efforts and all of our striving to be like Christ, to be perfect. We're already past the point of perfection in our lives. But to be closer to Him, to be closer to the standard that He set for us, what are we going to do to get there? He tells us in this text, we can't reach maturity without each other. God did not design the church, the body of Christ, to be individual members out doing their own studies and their own things and come to a knowledge of of what it's like to be like Christ, and come to a point where we can make application of all of the Word that we are now walking on the earth like Christ. That we're going to get closer to being like God by being by ourselves is is foolishness. I mean, this this is showing us that unity is the means by which we grow to that extent. God has given us each other to help us in our endeavor to be like Christ. So how important is it that we be unified? That we use our gifts to serve one another, that we equip each other to grow to maturity. We have apostles and prophets who wrote all kinds of things down for us to learn. We have evangelists, we have shepherds, we have teachers. Are they equipping? Are we being equipped? This is why I wanted to to present this lesson. This is why I wanted to study this text. Because, I mean, the truth is, we can't do this enough. As good as as this congregation is at at working together and being unified and, and, and building one another up and growing in maturity, we can't do this enough. We can't get to the point where we say, all right, we're good now. We can all go home and live out the rest of our lives like Christ. We can't get there. But what we see in this text is that we need to be striving for that more and more and more. And my concern is, as I look out at the world around us, 
is that the world around us is becoming more and more separated and segregated. That that each of us live out our own little lives in our own little bubble and we don't pay attention or, or try to connect with anyone else. We just live out our lives as though we can make it on our own. And we come to church services maybe to just fulfill some obligation or uh, to, to get in my time or maybe to find out some neat things and then uh, go and apply some things maybe. But are we really connecting ourselves or are we embracing the idea of isolation that is in the world around us? You know, I think this is something that we need to be very careful about. That we're not isolating ourselves and thinking that I can be a Christian on my own without the help of others. That I can, I can keep all of my struggles to myself. That I cannot ask any questions, but somehow I can just do my own study all by myself. And, and if I'm struggling, then, well, I'll just get over it because I'm too embarrassed to ask for help. That's not what God lays out for us in this text. God wants us to be unified together and work together for the common good that we might grow to maturity. And isolation does the opposite of unification. Notice verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. What's going to happen if we just go out on our own trying to figure things out and we don't consider the the thoughts and, and the ideas of other people? Well, it's going to be really easy for us to fall into false teachings. It's going to be really easy for us to come up with uh, ideas about texts that are not really the way God intended. If we're really striving to serve the one God and be a part of that one body then we need to open ourselves up to the ideas and the the learnings of those around us because the gifts were not given in such a way that, that each of us can go and find it out on our own, but that we might share our understandings with each other. And this is what Bible class is all about. As we come together and study together on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and we, we discuss things. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting up here and I've studied and looked at this for hours and, and somebody says something and I'm like, wow, I've never even considered that. Now, there's just a number of things we can learn as we study together and we use our gifts to teach one another. But also I wanted to think about this a little bit more in depth about what he's really saying helps maturity to come about in the church. In verses 11 and 12, notice he's telling us that this maturity isn't an immediate thing. It's not something that that we're, we're baptized and then miraculously now we're mature, anything like that, but that it's this process of mentoring. And being a mentee. That it's a process where we work with one another. That I'm, I'm seeking a mentor to help guide me. That I'm asking them questions and I'm listening to what they have to say with a willingness to maybe change my point of view. We all said we're not mature yet to the point of Christ. So we all can use some mentor, someone who can help us in some way. But also that means that we must become patient and gentle mentors who lead others to their ministry. To equip others for the work of service that it is that they are able to do. 
So how many of us are just kind of floundering, wondering what it is that I can do and what ministry I can I can become a part of? Well, are we looking around and seeing what others are doing and saying I can never do that or uh, you know that they're doing that so I don't I can't do that now? Well, don't think about it that way. The way that that he describes it here is that we can work together to teach one another how to do these works, how to minister and become even better at our ministry to build up the body to maturity. Because what we ultimately need is for everyone to speak to each other, for there to be communication, for there to be a, a sharing of knowledge, a sharing of maturity with love. Notice how he says that in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. We need to be speaking to one another. We need to be sharing the truth of the foundation that we've understood. We need to be sharing it in a way that's gentle, that's humble, that is patient and bearing with one another. And we need to be speaking that way both directions. As mentors and mentees. And every part must do its share. So I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're a member here or if you've been coming here, I want to encourage you to be united to the group that's here. Not that it's a perfect body of believers, but that we're all striving to be a part of the one true body. And I want to encourage you to, to do your part, whatever that part is. To become a mentee uh, who's, who's learning from someone else and connecting to someone else to learn that. Or to become a mentor. If you have been doing it for some length of time and you think you've got a fairly effective method, that doesn't mean you're perfect, but that you can help and assist other people to be more effective, I want you to be thinking about how it is that we can help those around us to grow to maturity and be more united and connected to each other because ultimately we need unity. We need to be together on this in order to accomplish our mission, in order to fulfill our calling together, to glorify God together, to shine as lights in the world together. We need unity. Think about the message that sends to a world that's so divided that we're willing to connect to one another, that we're willing to interact with one another in a humble way, gentle way, loving, patient way, and that whenever someone decides they want to be a part of us, that we bring them in with open arms and we try to help them in any way we can to grow to further maturity. Unity is not an easy thing. It's something that that we must be eager to maintain in our lives. What are we going to do? To become unified. Well, we need to develop the right attitude. We need to learn the foundation. And we need to do the work. That's what Paul tells us. Alright, so one one more illustration to kind of wrap all this up and help us understand what it is that, that we're doing. Is to just think about a newly married couple. As we try to be unified together. I want you to think about the idea. And I was thinking about this as I read through here and saw Bond of Peace. The idea of of two people uniting together in marriage and and how that works out. Well, in the first few years, there's going to be some conflict that may happen and and we're going to struggle because your reality is not my reality and then we join realities and we got to figure all that out. In response to conflict, what are we going to do? We're going to be eager to maintain the unity. We're going to be gentle. We're going to be humble. We're going to be patient with one another and we're going to grow together 
to become what God wants us to be on the earth. And that's that's the goal that we have. So take courage. God is with us. He wants to help us in this endeavor. If anybody here is not a member of Christ's body and you've not been joined to the church, uh, you've not entered into the work that the church here is doing, uh, we want to encourage you to do that. Please, uh, if you need to make a change, please come as we stand and as we sing.